Welcome to First Baptist Church in Belton. We are glad you found us. We seek to know Jesus intimately, serve Jesus passionately, and share Jesus globally together. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. What a wonderful morning of worship it has already been. What an honor and a privilege it is to get to worship with you today and get to share from God's Word. My hope is that this message will do exactly what that song said. Turn your eyes to Jesus. Point you to Him. We are going to continue our series on family matters. Today we'll be talking about family and culture. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 17. And as you're turning there, I want to ask you a question. I want you to think about something for a moment. Have you ever been provoked? (laughs) Have you ever been provoked to do something? You know, stirred up, incited, irritated, maybe encouraged, maybe instigated. Maybe you've been moved to do something. I heard some laughs already. Maybe you're thinking about middle school and you were provoked into a fight with the school bully. Or maybe you were the school bully and you did the provoking. Since we're in a family series, I could ask the students, do your parents ever provoke you? Do they seem to push your buttons? Parents, I could ask you the same thing about your kids, but I already know the answer is a resounding yes. It's almost as if God uses our children as instruments to provoke us, to provoke us to be more like him, to mold and shape us spiritually, using them to teach us patience, mercy, and unconditional love. You can also be provoked to change something in a positive way. You see something wrong or unfair in the world, and you're motivated to be an agent of change. Think of things like the poor, the hungry, the hopeless. Hopefully, when you see and hear about those things, you're provoked to make a difference. Sadly, the world we live in today is easily provoked. It's easy to provoke someone. And unfortunately, when provoked, people are quick to give their opinions and seek conflict over seeking to find common grounds. Rarely do we see stories on our news feed about two people who disagreed, had an adult, intelligent conversation, and came to a resolution that made sense. Peaceful disagreements and helpful solutions have been replaced with today what is called cancel culture. Someone says something you do not agree with, and you simply cancel them. You label them as someone who is intolerant. And this label states that that person is not to be listened to. Their words have no value. The culture that you live in today, that we live in, provokes people to extreme ideas that frequently lead to division and conflict. This word, culture, is a big word. How would you define it? What does the word culture really mean? It surrounds you. It's everywhere. But what does it mean? Well, culture 
is essentially what human beings make of the world, what they make of creation. If you'll remember in Genesis, we were tasked with cultivating the world. We were called to be fruitful and multiply, to subdue and have dominion over all the earth. We were commanded to work and keep creation. In cultivating our world, what we're doing is we're giving a reflection of our belief system. We make of creation the things that are important to us. And we call it culture. Culture includes the good, the bad, the morally neutral, and the morally complex. Culture is not people, but rather what people do. And culture is ever-changing in this world. An important thing to know and understand about culture is that we create culture. But once created, culture begins to shape us, mold us, impact us. Another thing that we must realize about culture is that we cannot escape it. Culture will provoke you. It will provoke you to be changed by it, or it will provoke you to be a person that shapes it. Culture is like the ocean. When you're in the ocean, you're surrounded by water. When you're in life, you're surrounded by culture. The waves of the ocean are constantly pushing against you, provoking you. And you can either be swept down the shore or you can stand against the waves seeking to hold your ground. But you cannot avoid the waves. Whatever you choose, the waves keep coming. They keep provoking you to action just as culture does. So, church, why is this important to you today? Why do I have you thinking about being provoked and culture? Some of you may be wondering, does the youth minister know that we're supposed to use the Bible? Yes, I do. And we're getting there. But what I want to talk to you about is how culture is provoking the family today. Culture is shaping the idea of family, what families are and what families are for. Our focus today will be on the family, moms, dads, kids. But you know all too well that the church family is also being provoked. My prayer for you today is that you will see an opportunity to be used by God to be culture changers. You will leave here being provoked, asking God, how can I serve and protect the family? Our text today is from Acts 17. It's a story of Paul being provoked to change, to engage a culture, and Paul responding. He's provoked, he engages, he responds. So if you would, please stand for the reading of God's word, Acts chapter 17. I will be reading from the ESV. We'll pick it up in verse 16. 
where it says, Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Verse 19, And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. Verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, what therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. And Paul begins to proclaim the God of creation. Pick it up in verse 27. It says, Yet he is actually not far from one of us. Verse 28, For in him we live and move and have our being, and even some of your own poets have said, For we are indeed his offspring. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst. But some men joined and believed. Father, we just pray that today you would move in the life of your people. That we would leave here changed and different. We would leave here transformed, understanding. Lord, that there is a culture that is provoking us to action. Lord, may you just bless our time together. Speak through your words. Lord, we love you. It's your name we pray. Amen. So the first thing that you will see from this passage is that Paul is provoked. Paul is waiting in Athens for Silas and Timothy. Because believe it or not, the last time Paul was preaching the gospel in his last location, he had stirred up and agitated the crowd. They were upset with his preaching of the gospel. So his friends immediately say, Paul, we got to get you out of this situation. They send him to Athens. Athens is known as a city of culture and intelligence. Although at this point, Athens is a shadow of its former glory, it was still a place known for art, music, debate, and the search for truth and wisdom. I imagine Paul, while he is waiting on his friends, decides to go and explore this cultural city for himself to see if it really is what he thinks it is, of what he's heard it is. And as a Christ follower, I think that as he looks through this city and all of this art and this culture, he's probably trying to see how the God that he served is proclaimed or represented through this art. But you can see in the passage that Paul is quickly disappointed by all the idols, and he is provoked to do something. 
Why is Paul provoked? Simply, he experienced the culture. He was in the culture, yet not of it. He studied it. He spent time in it. He had this expectation of what this culture might look like. Like this culture could point to God. This culture could help build up creation. But the culture did not meet those expectations. Because of his faith, because of his relationship with Christ and the state of this culture, Paul realized something had to be done. Not only because of the decay of the culture, but also because of his relationship with Christ, Paul is provoked to say, I have to do something. Paul knew that he was called to be an instrument of change to be used by God. And he believed that the truth of the gospel could help this situation. And I love Paul that there's this urgency, there's this burden, that he cannot no longer wait for his friends, but he must do something. So in your daily life, as you're in culture on a daily basis, are you provoked like Paul? We know two things about Paul that made it possible for him to be provoked. First, he had an active and vibrant relationship with Christ. You can see it all throughout the New Testament, how Paul trusted in Christ to lead him and guide him, how he constantly laid down his life based on the relationship he had. But you can really see it in Philippians chapter 3. Paul is talking about being a Hebrew of Hebrews, about his zeal and his righteousness. He's talking about his faithfulness to the law. And he comes to chapter 3 verse 8. And Paul says this about all of that stuff the world looks at. And it says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of the relationship that I have with him, all of that stuff he goes on to say, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ." Do you have that kind of relationship where every day you wake up and you say, it doesn't matter what else I do today. I want to spend time with the Lord. I want to grow in my relationship. Well, because Paul had that kind of relationship, he was provoked by things that did not line up with God's design. The second thing that Paul did that made him provoked was he was willing to experience the culture Verse 16 says, while he was waiting, he he doesn't just wait and not engage or experience the culture. He spends time with it. It says he was waiting and he was troubled. How could he be troubled if he did not experience the culture? He spent time amongst amongst the people. Here's the truth for us today. Both of those things that Paul sets as an an example in this passage are under our control. If you want to be provoked to make a difference in our culture, a difference that will help the family, you must seek to have this growing personal relationship with Christ. You must seek Him first. You must make Him a priority. But you must also seek to experience the culture. 
You must examine it, study it, seek to understand it. And for many of us, that is difficult. Do you seek to understand the culture around you? When it comes to things like social media, pornography, sexual orientation, gender identity, LGBTQ, same-sex marriage, racial tension, abortion, cancel culture, politics. What do you do with this culture? Are you like Paul? Do you experience it and seek to understand it? Here's why I ask this question. All of these things that I just listed and many more are provoking the family. They're affecting the very definition of what family is. Teenagers and even children are exposed to each and every one of these things on a regular basis. Culture is attacking both the family and the church. Culture is seeking to shape moms and dads and children into its own image. Culture seeks to take these ideas and make them normal. And in normalizing these ideas that are in direct conflict with what God's Word so beautifully describes as His creation. See, culture describes a world in which you look out for yourself. A world in which you can be whatever you want or feel like. Culture says there are no consequences to the decisions you make. And the reason that culture can claim this is because culture says there is no truth. That truth is relative. Truth can be whatever you want it to be. And you and I know not only is there truth, but there are consequences Already in this series, we've discussed the truth of God's design for the family. A design where husbands love their wives, wives submit to their husbands, children honor and obey their parents, and parents love their children. As Christians, as believers, we must stand for these beliefs. We must be provoked to action. But we must also see the dangers inherent in culture and help culture to understand that their decisions have consequences. We have to help culture change. Paul experienced a messy, broken culture. And he didn't stick his head in the sand, nor did he run away. Scared that the culture would somehow infect and corrupt him. But sadly, for many churches and Christians today, this is exactly what we do. We run from a broken, messy culture that is desperately in need of help. Uh, Gabe Lyons wrote a book, and the book's called Next Christians. He's looking to the future to see what Christians might be like in the next generation. And as he's doing that, he looks at examples of Christians and how they've interacted with culture 
currently and in the past. And although each of these examples help to maybe impact culture a little bit, ultimately all are poor culture changers. And so there's five things that I think we may have a slide for this. Uh, The first type of culture changers were called insiders. And what insiders would be would be people in the church that would avoid culture at all costs. They would only do Christian things. They would only hang out with Christian people. So they really couldn't impact the people that needed it most. Uh, The second type of people would be culture warriors. They would look at culture as evil and bad. They would fight against the culture at all costs. Their number one priority would not be to make the gospel known, but rather to change culture. They were more concerned about morals than eternal salvation. The third group would be evangelizers. They would share the gospel at any cost. Even if it meant offending people, even if it meant being rude, even if it meant, I don't want to talk to you, I just want you to listen. I'm not against evangelizing and sharing the gospel, but I'm also not about making people feel bad when I go to share the hope that can only be found in Christ. The last two kind of groups really engage culture a whole lot better, but they forgot about their faith. They would be called blenders. They would blend into the culture. They would become like the culture in such a way that you really couldn't tell a difference between them and the culture they were supposed to be in. They really weren't a light to culture. They weren't pointing to Christ. The last group would be called philanthropists. And what they would do, instead of pointing to the gospel, they would be in the culture and they would do good works. And as Christians, we want to do good works, but with the purpose of pointing others to a relationship with Christ. Well, for this group, the most important thing was not Christ, but rather the good works. You see, we cannot be afraid of culture. We cannot be molded and shaped to be exactly like culture. But we must seek to experience and understand culture so that we can see the real need. Although these cultural trends are often in direct opposition to God's word and his design, the reality is that people, when they chase after this culture, are crying for help. They're searching for truth. They're just headed in the wrong direction. They're looking in the wrong place. And they do not even realize it. Many of them are not rejecting Jesus and the hope and life that he provides. They simply do not know of it. This must provoke us to be agents of change. That's what Paul demonstrates in this passage. So first of all, Paul is provoked, but then you'll see that Paul engages with the culture. After experiencing and studying and seeing the the brokenness of the culture and the mess that it was in, Paul knows he must act. So what does he do? He engages. He can no longer wait for his friends because of the burden and the urgency he feels for the hopeless. And you can see in verse 17 and 18, it says that he goes into the synagogues. He goes into the marketplace. 
and he starts to engage. If we want to protect and strengthen the family, we must study the culture and then we must engage it. Part of that engagement is having conversations. Conversations that look at the issues from differing perspectives. A willingness to try and understand how someone could be enticed and influenced by these cultural trends. A conversation is talking and listening. Think about in your own families, or maybe as you were growing up as a kid, when you would ask your parents a question, and then you would say, well, why? And if your parents said, because I said so, how unsatisfying an answer is that? People that are swimming in the culture daily want more understanding than simply that's what the Bible says. They want to know why and how the truth of the Bible can change them. They also want people who can understand their struggle, people that care about the difficulties they're having. And if we as a church do not seek to understand We don't seek to see an issue from their perspective that we can come across as judgmental and lacking compassion. You see what Paul did? He reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews. He had conversations in the marketplace. He talked and he listened. He engaged them where they were at, both physically and spiritually. I think Paul is still studying the culture. He's still trying to build a relationship. He's still trying to show them how much he cares. He's seeking to understand them more fully so that he can share the gospel in such a way that they can understand him. You see in this passage, what do they say about Paul when he starts talking about Jesus? They call him a babbler. And they say this is some new teaching that is strange to our ears. You see, it's not that they fully reject his message. It's that they do not understand it. But still, because of Paul engaging them, they are incurious people and they invite him to their place for intellectual debate and discussion. You see, Paul goes from seeking out them, from trying to engage them, to now they're inviting him in to their world. Because he studied the culture He was provoked. He was provoked to engage them. And by engaging them, he gets their attention. He gains an audience. What if we were like Paul when it came to engagement? Not only did we have a desire to share the gospel, but we were willing to listen and understand people and where they're coming from so that we could share the gospel in such a way that they might more fully understand it. So Paul is provoked, he engages, and then lastly, he responds. They've invited him in. He's been given an audience, an opportunity, because he engaged them. Paul responds to his opportunity because he is prepared. He is prepared with a knowledge of the gospel, but he is also prepared with a knowledge of his audience. And so he goes to them and he starts to build a bridge. 
He starts to reach out to the men of Athens. He doesn't just go to them and say, here is the gospel. He starts out by talking about, he says, I see that you are spiritual people. I see that you are searching for truth. He says, I know that you want more. I know that you are seeking something because of all of these idols. And he goes on to say, as a matter of fact, what you are seeking, the truth that you're trying to find is right in front of you. What you call the unknown God is the God that I've been talking about. He tells them of the God of creation, a God that does not need his creation yet cares and desires to be in a relationship with his creation. A creator that is involved with his creation. Paul says God cares, and as a matter of fact, he is not far off. And this is a very different belief than what they've grown up in. Mostly, the people of Athens did not believe in gods. But if there was a God, then he did not concern himself with them. He did not care for his creation. So imagine how this might sound to these people to hear of a God that created all things and cares for his creation. A God that desires a relationship with them. Would you feel valued? You see, Paul knew where to start. He knew to start here because he knew what they believed. He knew why they believed it. He understood the culture. After explaining his God in a way that they can somewhat understand, Paul comes with the hard truth. He does not change the gospel to make it more tolerable. He's faithful to preach the truth. If you've ever tried to speak with someone that does not have a background in the church, sometimes they can get confused by some of the things we talk about. They may not speak Christian. It can sound confusing and hard to understand. Things like laying down your life and death on a cross. The last shall become first and that you must serve others. Some of those are foreign things in the world today. But the hard truth that Paul shares is that as his creation, we are called to repent because there will be a day of judgment. We are assured of this because of Jesus and his resurrection. You see, he tells the people, there is a God, a God that you've been searching for, a God that provides hope, a God that provides answers. And we know that there will be a day of judgment. And on that day, you are called to, resp- to respond, to repent. To come after him and not the things of this world. And you'll notice their response. Some mocked, some were curious, and some believed. And that's going to happen when you engage culture. Some will believe, some will make fun of you, and some will just leave. But you're still called to be agents of change. So now you may be asking, how does all this help the family? Why is this important? Why does it matter? Well, I'm almost there. Culture is attacking families. Culture is attacking the church. These statements are not up for debate. 
Christians, you cannot run and hide from this fact, hoping it will just get better. You have to play a role in changing the world. Paul did not run. He was not afraid. He was provoked to engage the culture. And he responded by ministering to them where they stood. So how can we be like Paul and engage the culture? If you want to, turn over in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And here is the kind of culture changer you should be. You shouldn't be someone that's an insider or a culture warrior or an evangelizer. But there is something you're called to do. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You're called to be reconcilers. You're called to restore creation to what it was intended to be help creation be what God designed. You're called to change culture by restoring it. This is what Jesus' death on the cross was. It was restoring you and me to a right relationship with the Father. We were restored. We were reconciled. And now we're called to reconcile culture, to change it. So, because family matters, we need to protect it. And the best way to do that is restoring it, reconciling it. It's promoting a culture that supports a biblical family. So instead of being offended, being critical and divisive of culture, we're provoked to engage it and prepared to meet culture where it's at. As Christ followers, we're called to help restore creation. We're called to restore culture to its original design. And I think today, Paul has given us an excellent example. You may have thought you got by without having to take your quiz today, but we are going to do our verse, Proverbs 24, verses 3 through 4. We're going to say it together. Here's why I waited to the end. Because we know this verse is talking about building a house, building a family. But I think it also can change how we interact with culture. Do we have our slide up? All right, let's see if we can do it together. A lot of blanks in there, all right? All right, here we go. By wisdom, a house is built. And by understanding, it is established. And through knowledge... Its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. Proverbs 24, 3 through 4. Thank you. 
It says a house or a family is built. It talks about wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. Now, we know those things to be truths from God's word. But I think we also need to have wisdom, understanding, and knowledge of culture. If you want to build a culture that's in line with God's word, you need to understand it. You need to have knowledge of it. You need to be ready to engage it. And through engaging the culture, we gain knowledge and understanding. And then we're able to take back the family. And we're able to firmly establish biblical principles. Maybe you're here today and a God that could love you unconditionally, a God that cares about you, never made sense before. You were convinced by culture of something different. And you want to talk with someone today and hear more about a God that loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. Maybe today he's calling you to repent. Or maybe during our time of invitation, our time of response today, You want to just come to the altar. You want to pray for families. You want to pray for our culture. Pray that you might be a culture changer. Pray that you might be provoked, that you would engage and respond to a messy, broken culture. That you might be an agent of reconciliation. I'm going to be down here at the front. Gary is going to lead us in our time of invitation. If you want to come and speak to someone, please don't wait. Please don't hesitate. Come to the altar. Come and pray for our families and our culture. Thank you for listening. Please feel free to call the church at 254-939-0705 if you need prayer or if you need to talk with someone. We're here to listen, help, and encourage.